All right, take your Bibles, please, and turn to the fourth chapter, 1 Thessalonians. Very familiar verses of Scripture. We're going to talk about the next big thing. People always wonder, what's the next big thing in music? What's the next big thing in television? What's the next big... Well, I'm going to tell you what the next big thing is, okay? And these verses deal with it. This message is an outgrowth from last Sunday morning's message when I talked about abandonment theology, when I said we shouldn't get so caught up in thinking about being raptured out of here that we forget to do what we're supposed to do while we're here. A lot of people do that. They're just looking to escape. They're looking to abandon this planet and go and be with the Lord. But we've got something to do while we're here. And I thought, well, I certainly don't want people to think that I'm against being raptured out or being resurrected if I die first. You know, I don't want people to think I'm against that. And so we're going to, for the next couple of weeks, I think, look along this line. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe, and that really is the idea of sense, it's the if of a fulfilled condition, okay? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the next big thing... The next great event on God's timeline and for this world is the resurrection and the rapture or the catching up of the saved. Now some people don't like that word rapture because it's not found in the scriptures, but the Greek word that's translated caught up, if you wrote it over into English, would be rapture. So we just use that word a lot of times. It's just sometimes easier to say one word than two, right? But the catching up of the saved. And this message deals with that event. All the way over in the book of Titus, well not all the way over, just over in the book of Titus, the second chapter, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writing to Titus says this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He calls it a blessed hope. Now that word blessed means happy. See, if you're saved, you can look at the coming of Christ, at the resurrection of the dead and the rapture or the catching up the saved with joy. When we were singing that last song, and I was smiling, and I think Sister Candy was, and I didn't see anybody else smiling. And I thought, how can you sing about going and being with the Lord with a frown on your face if you know Christ as Savior? Amen. Hey, when we sing about getting to heaven, let's smile when we sing about Let's shout about getting to heaven when we sing about that. And the word hope is not an iffy thing. We know that. I've talked about that word. I love that word because it does not, it's not something like, well, I hope it will rain today. 40% chance, by the way. I hope it will rain today. It is an expectation. The rapture, the catching up, the resurrection is going to happen. Thing is, we don't know when. But it is a glad expectation. It is a glad hope. So, according to verse 18 of our text that we just read, thinking about the coming of Christ, thinking about the resurrection of the saved dead, thinking about the rapture or the catching up of the saved living should bring comfort to our hearts. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I was a teenager, it didn't. I was saved, but I just thought, there, you know, I wanted to live this life. 
I want to enjoy life. And I tell you what, we look at our world today, folks. It can get worse than this. But where I want to be is with the Lord. Amen. And that ought to be our desire. That ought to be our joy. Now, the Lord's coming has been the hope of believers since the first century. In fact, interestingly, over in the first chapter of Acts, and I'm not going to turn there. You can if you want. But the first chapter of Acts, the sixth verse, the Lord's disciples, he's getting ready to ascend back to heaven. And the Lord's disciples say, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? I love the Lord's answer. He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You know what he's telling them? You don't need to worry about that. You need to expect it. You need to look forward to it. But you don't need to worry about when it's going to happen. In other words, you need to live like it's going to happen today. Amen. It could happen. Christ could come back today. But then in verse 8, he said this. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So he said, you want to get all caught up in this thing about being raptured and resurrected and all that. You've got a job to do while you're on this earth, and that is to witness of me. I think I put this on Facebook the other day. I don't know if I put it on the church's side, but I thought we can get so caught up in thinking about getting caught up that we fail to get caught up in what we're supposed to do. All right, you follow that? We just think, oh boy, the Lord's coming back and all of that. But we have a job to do while we are here. And so concerning the coming of Christ, 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The last days and the coming of the Lord is in two stages. We know that Jesus comes, first of all, in the air for the saved. The dead in Christ are caught up. The living dead are caught up. And then, seven years later, after what we call the Great Tribulation, He comes to this earth with His saints. And that's what we look forward to. But listen, not everybody has that kind of hope. Not everybody who hears this message will believe this message to be truthful. And not everybody who hears this message will believe this message to be hopeful. Some scoff at the idea of Jesus coming again. They make light of the idea and the teaching. They would make light of this message of talking about the coming of the Lord. But God said in his word, that's the attitude that's going to prevail in these last days. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He said, I'm going to remind you of some things that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Now what he's saying is, what he would say to us today is, remember what the Bible says. Regardless of what you hear, regardless of what people say, remember what the Bible says. And then he says in verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so there are going to be people who say, well, nothing's changed and Jesus hadn't come back. See, he's not able to because he hadn't. And so we're just going to accept evolution. We're going to accept atheism. We're going to follow all of these other things that are in direct contradiction of the Word of God. There's a man named Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips is a left-wing political strategist. He writes against Christian influence in government, and in doing that, he ranked people like us, people who believe the Bible, people who believe in the coming of Christ as hucksters, 
And he compares us to the Shiite Ayatollahs of Islam. Well, I don't think we're anything like that, okay? But listen, folks, this is a Baptist church. I checked the sign when I came in, all right? We're, we're a Baptist church. We're still a Baptist church. As far as I'm concerned, we're always going to be a Baptist church. And what we believe as Baptist folks is this, that the Bible is our authority in matters of faith and practice. In other words, we listen to the Word of God. We pay attention to the Word of God. And we come here to open our Bibles and to hear what God has to say from His Word to His people. And that's what we're going to do today. Now, there are many indications that we're living in the last days. Not the least of which is the idea that is so popular in this world today and to many, and that's the idea of globalism. You know, we're just all citizens of planet Earth. We're just all citizens of, of Mother Earth, and we ought to all get along, and we hear talk about a global currency. We have the World Bank already. We have the World Health Organization already, but we hear about all of these global institutions that are being proposed. That is preparing the way for the man of sin who will rule over a one world government and he will have his way for many years. Things we could only think about 40 to 50 years ago are being proposed in real time as we speak, folks. And the Bible bears out what's going to happen. Joel Rosenberg is an American-Israeli communication strategist. Now, Joel Rosenberg is an author. He's a nonprofit executive. He's written about 16 novels about terrorism and the Bible and how terrorism relates to what the Bible says. And Joel Rosenberg said this, and I like this quote, while it is fashionable in our times to analyze world events by merely looking through the lens of politics and economics, it is also a serious mistake, for it prevents one from being able to see in three dimensions. To truly understand the significance of global events and trends, one must analyze them through a third lens as well, and that's the lens of scripture. Only then can the full picture be clearer. So as we look at world events, we look at them through the Bible. We may see the political aspect of it. We may see the economic aspect of it. But we need to see the biblical aspect of the things that are happening in the world today. And we can have comfort today because we know this. Most of the world doesn't, but we know this. Folks, God is in control. Amen. And his time schedule is right on course. And our hope is based on God's word. That's our more sure word of prophecy that the Apostle Peter talked about in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. I don't care what the politicians say. I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever you are. I don't care what the politicians say. I don't care what the media says. I don't care what those who don't know the Bible say. They're not going to stop Jesus from coming back, and they're not going to derail God's plan. Amen. What I care about is what does the Bible say? And that's what we're going to examine with this message. The first thing I want us to see is the promise of the rapture. The promise of the rapture. There's several things about this promise. First of all, it's a faithful promise. You look at verse 16 of our text. For the Lord himself, I like that part. God's not sending some angel after us. 
The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of archangel and the trump of God. It is sure. It is something that is very sure for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior. Whether we die before the Lord comes or whether we're living when he comes. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The coming of Christ is not just a possibility. It is an absolute certainty. Jesus is coming back. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Amen. The Bible is replete with promises, with certainties. Jesus is coming back and you and I who are saved need to be ready. I could cite so many verses. We just don't have time. But we should never be like the man who became alarmed. He was reading a lot of information about the link between cancer and smoking. And so he said, I've decided to quit reading. I'm not going to read that stuff anymore because it scares me. Well, you can quit reading the Bible and you can do like many. You can stick your head in the sand and you can ignore the times that we live in. But that is not going to change the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. Or you can study the Bible, which is true. And you can know that Jesus is going to return. It is a sure promise. It is as sure as God is. And you know there's one thing God cannot do. And the Bible tells us. God cannot lie. And so when God said Jesus is coming back. He's going to keep that promise. But it's also securing. It brings great security to our hearts. Some of my favorite verses of scripture in John chapter 14. The first three verses. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now I'll tell you what he's saying right quickly there. He's saying, you believe I'm God and you trust God? You trust me just as much as you trust God the Father, all right? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he said, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then this wonderful promise, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what? I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. So Jesus himself promised I'm coming back. That ought to secure our hearts. If you've trusted him to save your soul, and I think most of us here, if not all of us here have, if you've trusted him to save your soul, you ought to trust him to keep his promise to return. Now when we observe the Lord's Supper, and who instituted the Lord's Supper? Jesus did, okay. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we're looking back to the time just before Jesus died, but we're also doing something else. We're looking forward to the time that he's coming again. Because remember what he said when he gave them the fruit of the vine to the drink? He said, I'll not drink it again with you till I'll drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back to get you. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, we use many times in talking about the Lord's Supper. And the Apostle Paul wrote there, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord death till he come. That's the reason we put such an emphasis on observing the Lord's Supper together and setting a service aside just for that very purpose that we will be reminded, not just that Jesus died for us, but that Jesus is coming back for us. Christ's coming is a faithful promise. It's something God wants us to think about. It's something that God 
wants us to let control our very lives day in and day out. But it's also a frequent promise. You know there are over 300 references to the coming of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And some of those refer to the catching away of the saved. What we call the rapture of the saved. 1 Thessalonians that we read chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. Read many times at funerals. I've read it at funerals. I've heard it read at funerals. And it's a great comfort when we hear it read at funerals, but we don't need to wait till a funeral to consider 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now what had happened here in Thessalonica? Some folks had died. The Lord hadn't come back yet. And some folks had died, and they had a real question. What about our brethren? They didn't get to go up and be with Jesus. They put them in the ground. They buried them. What's going to happen to them? And these verses are given to comfort the hearts of those who had those questions. You may have a loved one that has passed away. They trusted Jesus. They were saved, but they passed away. What's going to happen to them? Don't worry. When Jesus comes, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. And verses 16 and 17 of this text present six facts that deal with the rapture of the saved. And the very first one is that the Lord will return. Verse 16. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. As Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples were standing there. and they, I can just imagine that scene, can't you? Jesus just starts rising up into heaven. And these disciples, these old fishermen, tax collectors and all that, they were just sort of standing there. I would anyway, wouldn't you? Get the roof of your mouth sunburned from just looking up, watching him ascend, you know. He's ascending and two men stood by them in white apparel and one of them said, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up for you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. He's coming back. The second fact is in verse 16, we will hear the voice of the archangel and the trump or the trumpet of God. You know, a lot of times in a Baptist church, we want to be so quiet. I hadn't heard many people. I've heard a few. You're, you're doing better than most churches I've pastored. I hadn't heard many. You say, maybe you've gotten better. I don't know. <laughs> I might argue with that. But I hadn't heard a lot of people shout amen in Baptist church. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but we're going to hear the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Now, what's that voice going to say? I have no idea. And the Lord himself shall descend. Well, what's the Lord going to say? When he, you know, it may be like when he stood outside the tomb of Lazarus. Remember when Lazarus had died and Jesus was standing there, he says, Lazarus, come forth. Here came Lazarus. Now, for some of us, the Lord might just have to say, wake up, you know, and get us awake to come and be with him. But we're going to hear the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. The third one is those who passed on before us who were saved and died will rise first. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 shed some light on that. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Their spirits will be united with a glorified body. What's that going to look like? I have no idea. Read 1 John chapter 3, the first three verses. We're going to be like him, the scripture says, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 17, this is number four. The living saved will be caught up with them. Hey, we're going to get new bodies too. Isn't that exciting? Amen. You know, I look in the mirror each day and I wonder who that is sometimes. How'd you get so old? As I said, that word 
that's translated caught up means to be raptured. The real idea of the word is to be snatched away. It's suddenly, it's like an eagle swooping down and grabbing its prey and flying off. That's how quick the rapture is going to be. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, in the twinkling of an eye, in the blink of an eye, and I've forgotten the actual figures, but just a nanosecond or two is all it takes. We, the blink of an eye is an involuntary reflex. We blink and we don't even know it. And that's how quick the rapture of the saved is going to be. And verse 17 says, we'll meet the Lord in the air. That's number five. Oh, we like family re reunions, don't we? We have school class reunions and all those things. There's going to be a reunion one of these days, folks. And it's going to be so glorious. Our loved ones that have gone on before us, we get to see them again. But most of all, and the most important thing about this reunion, is we will get to look at our Lord who gave himself for us. And then, verse 17, we will get to be with him forever. That's number six. What a wonderful promise that is. I don't know about you, but in this world today, I feel like a round peg trying to go into a square hole. I don't fit. And so much of this world is getting worse and worse, and that doesn't surprise me because the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, I believe it is, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. So it shouldn't surprise you, but one of these days, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord and be with him for eternity. So the promise of the rapture, the promise of the catching up, and the promise of the resurrection is definitely given in the word of God. Next we see the prospect or the hope of it in verses 16 and 17. Why is it called a blessed hope? Why not put your hope in a, a world leader? <laughs> a retirement fund. By the way, you know what's happening to retirement funds right now? We have a little bitty one, but it's getting littler all the time, smaller all the time, you know. Well, why not put your confidence, your faith, your trust, your trust, your hope in some government? No. Our hope is in Jesus because he provides the comfort to all believers. Right now, we're living in the time of the Gentiles. The scripture says that. But one of these days, Jesus is going to establish himself. The man of sin, the Antichrist, will bring the world what the world thinks is peace, but it is not going to be peace. Once we're taken out of here, you know, the Antichrist may say something like this. Well, we've gotten rid of all those Christians. Now we can really have fun. Now we can find a solution for everything in the world. Now everything's going to be all right because those Christians, in fact, I heard many, many years ago, a college professor said that evangelical Christians were the cause of all the mental problems in the world. Well, because we do what the Bible says and we tell people without Jesus Christ, you're lost. You're going to hell without Christ, well then we are the problem and not the lost condition of mankind. And so they'll be happy when we're gone. But the last three and a half years of the rule of the Antichrist is called the Great Tribulation. And we don't have time to get in all the things that are going to happen. We may one of these days. But it's going to be a time of God's wrath upon this earth and God has promised to spare his children from his wrath. So it is an imminent hope. Nothing else needs to happen before Jesus comes back. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9 for just a moment. See, 
bringing to be taken out of here, as I said, because we've not been appointed to wrath. Listen to verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The rapture could come at any time, and then God's wrath will begin coming up on this earth. Here's another reason to believe that what we call a pre-tribulation rapture. And that's because in the book of Revelation, after the third chapter, from chapters 4 to chapter 18, churches are not mentioned. Now, chapters 2 and 3 are the Lord's letters to the seven churches of Asia. But after chapter 3, you don't see any churches What's the significance of it? In those chapters, 4 through 18, you know what we find? We find God's judgments coming upon this earth. Amen. I fully believe God's going to take those of us who are saved out of here before all of that begins. And the purpose of those judgments in the book of Jeremiah, it calls that time of tribulation the time of Jacob's trouble. And that's when God brings these judgments to try to draw Israel back to the Messiah. So we don't find churches mentioned in chapters 4 through 18. And in Revelation chapter 3, the Lord's speaking to one of his churches. And in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, look at this, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. That idea of the temptation that will come upon all the world is talking about the tribulation time. And then look what he says right after that. Behold, I come quickly. He says, I'm going to keep you from the time of trial. I'm going to keep you from the time of temptation. And I'm coming quickly. And it will be quick, as we said a moment ago. Eminence is the hope and it is the promise to the child of God that Jesus is coming back and he could come back soon. And the fourth reason to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture is the order of scripture because if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what's it talking about in the end of that fourth chapter? Talking about the coming of the Lord. What does chapter 5 talk about? God's judgment. God's judgment. So Jesus is coming back and he's coming back quickly and he's coming back soon. It's an imminent hope. But it's also an inspirational hope. You think about it. As I said a moment ago, when we sang about meeting the Lord in the air and going to be with him, we ought to be smiling when we sing that song. It ought to inspire us. It ought to encourage us. Think of the thousands of songs that have been written about the coming of the Lord. We shall see Jesus. I like that one. Midnight cry. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. The many, many songs that have been written and inspired people about the coming of Christ. And then the sermons, hundreds of thousands of sermons, no doubt, that have been preached about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the thought of Christ's coming should inspire us today. Do you realize that not every believer, I've pointed this out already, but not every believer is going to have to face death. Now, I've told you before, I don't fear death. You know what my biggest concern about death is? That's leaving my family behind. Because I know the sorrow of losing a mom or losing a dad or, you know, some family member. And I don't want to do that to them. I'd much rather the Lord come and just take us all out of here and we could just go as a family. <laughs> but if he delays his coming, that's going to happen. But not all of us are going to have to face death. 
First Corinthians 15, 51 is a wonderful verse. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. It is not sinful. It is not wrong to hope and to pray that you'll be raptured out. Okay? So don't worry about that. Some people have, should I pray about that? Uh, that's fine. Not everybody's going to die. Just pray that you're one of those. And we're going to get a glorified body. And I'm thankful for that too. And we're, here's the one I like. We're going to get to see Jesus. First John chapter 3 verse 2. I referred to that a moment ago. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We sing that wonderful song, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what shall it be? When in, I'm, I'm going to mess it up, but when in glory I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. We will stand face to face with our Lord. And by the way, we ought to be looking forward. How many are looking forward to that day? Boy, I am. Standing face to face with Lord Jesus Christ. And then I've mentioned the glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 51. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? See, if you haven't noticed we all have corruptible bodies. We're all getting older. And we're all moving toward that. Our mother used to have this saying. And I stood by it for a long time. She said we're all going to die if we live long enough. There's a lot of wisdom in that. You know. You live long enough. And the Lord doesn't come back. You are going to die. But as a child of God. When the Lord returns. The dead in Christ rise first. And the saved are caught up. We're going to put on incorruptible bodies, glorified bodies, and that is the hope of the rapture. So the scripture promises that Jesus is coming again. It promises that he's coming soon, and we know that God keeps his promises. Here's the third thing. I call it the preparation for the rapture. You need to be ready for the rapture. We have some folks here that are getting ready to go on a trip. Weather cooperating, right? <laughs> what do you do before you go on a trip? Well, a lot of things, but you pack your bags, don't you? You prepare for going on that trip. See, there's going to be many that are ready, but there's going to be folks left behind also. There's going to be many that are ready, and there's going to be folks that are not prepared. You know there's a difference between being ready and being prepared? I think I've shared this before, but many years ago, we lived all hundreds of miles away, and we'd come home for a visit. And when it got time to go back home, we get the bags packed and the car loaded. We were prepared. But folks, I sure wasn't ready. And that's the way it's going to be. There are a lot of folks that are saved. They're prepared to go. But you know, they just like this world a little bit too much. And they're not ready to go and to be with the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 11 says, Of those that will be left behind, you know what God's going to do? God shall send them strong delusion because they're going to believe the lie of the Antichrist. That's what is coming for those who don't know Christ as Savior. And some of those who reject Jesus as Savior will probably be some of the biggest proponents of the Antichrist. Why? Because God's going to send them strong delusion. Now, it's not God's will that any should be left behind. It's not God's will that any should perish. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 
For God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. It's desire that every person under the sound of my voice, every person who, even though they don't hear me, hear some other preacher, every person in the world, here's God's desire, every person in the world would repent toward him, put their faith in Christ and be saved. We know that's not going to happen. But that's God's desire. Well, how do you prepare for the rapture? Well, first of all, you prepare through salvation. You must be born again. Go back to verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died, or since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, and that means they've died trusting Jesus, will God bring with him? Now, you've got to be saved. If you're going to be ready for the rapture, you're going to be ready for Jesus to return, you've got to be saved. Do you realize that you can't make anybody trust Christ? Now, I think sometimes we can live in such a way as we cause people not to trust Christ, you know. We had a lesson in Sunday school this morning about the man Achan, who because he sinned, 36 innocent men lost their lives. I would hate to think that my life had caused somebody to reject Christ and to die lost. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of people go to hell from a Baptist pew, from a pew in a Baptist church, because they don't know Christ as Savior. But God, by His Spirit, can turn someone's heart to Him. And that's why we need to witness, and we need to pray for those we witness to, that God, through the Holy Spirit, would turn their hearts. There is no hope for the rapture until you know Jesus Christ as Savior. After you know Christ as Savior, there's great hope for the rapture. This is not denominational dogma, folks. This, these are the words of Jesus. This isn't just... Well, that's Baptist doctrine. No, this is the word of God. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, he's talking to Martha. He said, unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then he asked her, do you believe that? Believest thou this? We serve a risen Savior. Like that song too. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. You can go to the grave site and see the founder of Buddhism. You can do the same for the founder of Islam. But you can go to Jerusalem, and I've been there. You can go to Jerusalem. You know what you're going to find in Jerusalem? An empty tomb. Amen. Now, is that the exact tomb where they laid the body of Jesus? I don't know. They will tell you that. Remember, a lot of this is tourism. They will tell you that. I accept it. But even if that's not the one, I know there's one just like it that's just as empty as that tomb is because Jesus is not in the tomb. He came forth out of the tomb. So if you want eternal life, you want to be ready for the rapture, I'm telling you this morning, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You say, well, I don't know how it's this easy. Confess to God, agree with God, I'm a sinner. I was born this way. We're all born sinners. I was born this way, separated from you, and I need to be saved. And then put your complete faith and trust in God and in the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross. Trust in the blood of Jesus. Get covered in the blood. Now, if you're saved, you know how you prepare? Through sanctification. What is sanctification? It's a cleaning up of your life. It's a confession of sins and repentance toward God. It's living a life that is set apart to God. You know, it's sort of like inspection time in the military, right? We got some military folks here, former military folks here. Let's just say the colonel decided to pull a surprise inspection and he comes into the barracks. What would you want? 
bunks made. You'd want the barracks clean. You'd want to be in your uniform and looking your very best when the colonel came in to inspect the barracks. And if you knew he was coming, you'd get prepared. Listen, children of God, we know Jesus is coming. And we need to get prepared. We need to be ready. We need, in fact, we need to live ready. Knowing that Jesus is coming ought to do something in our lives every day. In fact, you know what 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says? And every man, talking about the coming of Christ, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. I'm going to go and be with the Lord. Jesus could come back today. I need to live ready. You need to live ready. And if you are saved and you believe that Jesus is coming again, you need to be ready for that day by purifying your life. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live to God. I'm going to live to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to repent of those things. And repentance is more than just being sorry. By the way, repentance is turning away from what you were doing that you know is sin. And putting it behind you and going toward God and doing what God would have us to do. Listen to Titus 2.12. That's right before Titus 2.13, by the way, which talks about the blessed home. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Doing what? Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Amen. Now, we never live holier than thou lives among other people, but we live holy lives among other people. Except for the grace of God, we'd be right where many lost people are today. But God's grace worked in our lives and we're saved and therefore we ought to live holy, not holier than thou lives. And if you are saved, we're ready through steadfastness. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10. You're probably going to say, I knew you'd say that at some point. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What it's saying is, as you see the coming of Christ getting near, you need to be assembling together. You need to be in church need to be under the word of God and fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the reasons I believe, this is, this is just my opinion, but one of the reasons I believe God put that in there is he knew what the last days were going to be like. I know he knows that. That's not opinion. That's fact. But I believe knowing what the last days were going to be like, God said, you're going to need to fellowship with people who believe just like you do. Amen. You're going to need to be around people who love me, who love my word, who want to live for me. Because see, you know what will happen to a child of God if he hangs around with the world too much? He'll get just like the world. Right. It'll happen, I guarantee you. I've seen it happen. I've seen some young men, older men, middle-aged men that I thought were faithful men. They started hanging around with the wrong crowd and they got just like the crowd they hung around with. Their language revealed it. Their actions revealed it. And it'll happen. So I believe God knew that we needed this, this fellowship, this being together on a regular basis. A New Testament church is to be an assembly where we hold to the Word of God through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That's why we exist. And so God's saying, if you really believe my son's coming again, you'll be in church. How about that? What do we say when we just willing? Now, I'm not counting illness or you know, being out of town or something like that. But if we just say, I don't want to go to church today. I'm bored with it. I don't want to show up. That old preacher, you know, preaches too long and all that. 
what we're saying is, I don't really believe Jesus is going to come back today. No, if we really believe he's coming, we'll be here. And this is more necessary the closer we get to his coming. Because there's coming a time of delusion. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to, this is the last verses probably, possibly, maybe, maybe not, we're going to read this morning. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I said first. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses tell us what it's going to be like in these last days. And my personal approach to those verses is he's not talking about the lost world because the lost world's always been this way. That's the nature of the lost world. He's talking about people in the Lord's churches are people who profess Christ as Savior. Listen to this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. I'd rather go to the golf course today than go to church. I just thought I'd throw that one in. I don't know anybody that said that today, by the way. And I figured the golf course would be safer than fishing, right? Or go to the mall for a sale. or well, Got to get the ladies too. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Churches just don't seem to have the power that they once had. You realize that? Amen. The preaching of the Word of God, I'll just be honest with you. This is over years of experience. The preaching of the Word of God does not seem to affect people, the lives of people as it once did. Amen. Now, is it we have preachers who are not as good as the old time preachers? Has the Word of God lost some of its power? No. You know what the problem is? So many times today we've got a form of godliness. <laughs> but I don't want to have too much power in my life. I might be considered a religious nut if I let it do that. And so churches are without power today. Many of them are without power. We must be together and we must hear the word of God to stay strong until Jesus comes. And those that believe one sermon a month is good enough to sustain them. They're easy pickings for the devil. Amen. Would you eat one meal a month? <laughs> well, I'm on a diet, one meal a month. You know, I'm on a seafood diet. I see food and I eat it. Amen. And it ought to be the same with the Word of God. We're going to wrap up. The Lord's going to keep His promise concerning the rapture. Jesus is coming. That ought to bring some hope to our hearts, folks. We've got an election coming up. A lot of people worried about the election. Focus on the coming of Jesus. That'll bring hope to your heart regardless of what happens in the election. But when he comes, he's only coming for people who have the Holy Spirit residing in them who have been born again. I've meant to do something today and I didn't do it. I was going to bring a magnet and I was going to put several items right down here on this table. Some of metal, some of plastic, other things. I was going to pass that magnet over those items and guess what? The ones that could be attracted by the magnet would do what? Because it's a strong magnet. They'd jump up to it. And that illustrates the rapture and the resurrection. Only those who know Christ the Savior are going to be caught up when Jesus comes. Some will be left behind. And the key is, again, that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you're saved, you'll be caught away in the blink of an eye. You know, there's not going to be time to say, Lord, let me get ready. 
Lord, let me bake my bunk. Lord, let me shine my shoes. Let me get prepared for the inspection. No, he's coming and you're going to go. Whatever condition you're in, spiritually, whether you're serving him or not, it's going to happen. And for the child of God, we must love the Father and be conformed to the image of Jesus. Herein, 1 John 4, 17, and I love this, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And here's how to have boldness, because as he is, so are we in this world. You know, I, I dealt with this Wednesday night. I asked the question, how do, how can I, because I've, I've, I ask myself this question, how can I show an almighty, all-powerful God who owns everything? Now, the cattle on a thousand hills are his. If you were hungry, he'd just kill one of them and eat it. He wouldn't have to ask us for food. How can I show that God that I love him? And there's only one way. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus was an obedient son. And God wanted many more like him. And so if we as his children want to please God and make him happy, we just conform to the image of Jesus. As he was in the world, we live like him. In other words, in the truest sense of the word, we become Christians. And that doesn't mean be saved. That means be Christ-like in every walk and every day of our lives. That's how to show God that you love him.